Hi, I'm Johnny Holland, ex-monster rugby player. This is the 1% Better Podcast with Robert the Green. Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there and welcome to the second episode of the second season of the 1% Better podcast. This is Rob O'Donoghue and I'm delighted to have you along for this episode. If it's the first time you've heard the podcast, brilliant, great to have you along. Just as an FYI, you have 50 plus hours to catch up on of season one and the first episode of season two. So lots of listening for you over the next while just saying and if it's a return listener that you are that is brilliant thanks for coming back and i am sure you're going to enjoy this episode with johnny holland just also fyi i am bunged up a little bit so hopefully that's not annoying your listening pleasure it's annoying my speaking pleasure and still can't seem to crack this uh, what i call the podcaster's curse Maybe one day, maybe the weather's getting better and I'll start to breathe normally through my nose and mouth again. But anyway, the feedback from last week's show. The intro episode went down very well. I started to play with video. That's been well received, surprisingly. Uh, last year, I was scared about my own voice. This year, my own face. But that's part of the learning and development. And I'll continue to do it from now and again. Hopefully, uh, it'll continue to get better as I learn how to put it together in a more presentable way in general feedback's good being told i'm being ambitious with a lot of the things i'm planning uh same as last year but i'll give it a shot probably can't get it all done but we'll certainly try and do lots of it i did get some feedback uh positively around the the idea of the pro bono coaching so check out the support page on the website or listen to last week's episode and on the flip side of that there is now a, a more structured way in which you could support the show through the patreon page check it out on the support page or buy your books through amazon on the amazon link on my page and anything that comes in to the show will go into trying to make it better for sure i promise in the last week myself i've recorded a couple of new episodes one with steve lennox who's a consultant he's a dual citizen we talk about america and ireland and the relationships that are there and his journey very interesting one and it was timely as he was in cork and it was paddy's weekend so that worked out and secondly i had a really really interesting conversation with jim breen so jim is the mastermind behind cycle against suicide and we talked at length about his own journey over the last number of years, focusing on challenges he's faced around depression and how he's overcome it, how he deals with it and tools and techniques he uses. Those two are going to come out in the next month or so. Excited to put them out. They're really interesting ones. I know I say that about all of them. I hope most of them are all interesting to you, but particularly enjoyed those couple in the last week. All right, on to this week's first proper guest uh, of the season and it is johnny holland so timely in that ireland have just completed the grand slam well done to the team if any of them are listening congratulations if you'd like to come on to the podcast please let me know i'm delighted to introduce johnny holland as this week's guest so johnny is a retired irish rugby player who was making a serious impact with the munster rugby team in ireland and that munster is a province in ireland for those in the u.s maybe listening 
before having to prematurely end his career at the age of 25. So Johnny had a serious injury where the hamstring came off the bone and that forced him to an early retirement. Since then, Johnny has turned his focus to nutrition and wellness and has started to build up a successful career in this space. As you'll hear, he's applying the same focus, meticulous attention to detail and preparation to this new venture as he did in his playing career. This was the first episode I recorded for season two back in early January. It was an awful lot of fun talking to Johnny about his career. Thanks to Jake for actually making the connection happen. It is obvious that he's a focused, determined guy and he's really only stepping into a new chapter that has a long way to go and I'm sure lots of success will come knowing how he prepares and focuses. Please do hang on to the end of the show where you hear the new outro where I touch on a few things that I touched on in episode one if you haven't heard that. If you do enjoy this episode and come back for more it would be great if you subscribed on iTunes or if you followed me on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. All the links are at the end of the show in the show notes or on my robofthegreen.ie site. Okay, I shall leave it there and hand it over to the awesome conversation with Johnny Holland. Thanks so much and have a great day. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast into Season 2. And I'm delighted to be here with Johnny Holland. Johnny, welcome to my studio. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on it. Delighted to, to have you here. So where are things with you right now, Johnny? What's going on for you? and what, what's, what's happening in your world right now? Um, so I'm... I've just have, I'm just after setting up my own uh, website for nutrition and health and wellness um, consultations and, and talks and things like that. So um, trying to get that off the ground is one of the things I'm doing. Uh, I'm still working the nine to five at the moment, and I'm coaching Con a couple of times a week and weekends. So it's uh, kind of busy at the moment, but it's um, it, it's a bit exciting now. Something to look forward to, kind of growing going forward. So um, it's uh, hopefully it'll get a lot busier. Yeah, you're definitely busy because this is a Sunday morning and yeah. I'm taking you away from mass which is uh, something I feel bad about sorry about that don't worry about that <laughs> we'll try and keep it to the duration of mass so nobody knows you, you skipped it today um, Johnny what I normally do in the podcast we have a bit of a look back at your early stages where you're at now and I suppose the future and then we'll kind of blast through some kind of uh, questions that might be useful in the whole 1% better mindset that some listeners could uh apply to their own lives sound good yeah very good yeah so one i really like to ask uh earliest memory do you have an earliest memory ever yeah ever what comes to your mind there <laughs> throwing you throwing this at you um jeez i don't know anything the earliest well, you, i i feel you think you have memories that you just don't have at all they come from photos mm. um but memories, I have no idea. I have the worst memory ever as well. Like, what does it have, if you think back, is there anything that you kind of look back on, I suppose, from an early age that stands out? I can see myself kicking a ball off the wall anyway. Um, right. Whether that's in a video or not, I don't know. But, um, a rugby ball? Soccer ball. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I was at a soccer ball with me everywhere, trying to, trying to get my brother to kick it back to me, which didn't always happen. He'd get bored after five minutes and I'd be kicking off the wall for the next hour or so. Okay. Uh, something like that anyway. Yeah, no. Again, I ask because it's it's what I try to do is see if there's a connection with 
that earliest memory and what the person has done later in life. So there's a ball involved anyway. So there's, there there's, was, yeah. there's certain there. So yeah, was that something? So growing up, what was it? What was the focus from an early age that you? Uh, yeah, like had? even if we if we were hanging around with some of the lads or whatever, and you're you know you're hanging around the park, and then you decide to go to the shop or you decide to walk away somewhere else, as always, I was left with the ball, like the wet mucky ball no one else wanted to keep and I'd have to uh, I'd have to hang on to that but I probably wanted anyway so I was just stuck at that one rugby balls and soccer balls but um, yeah there was always something like that involves always some sport or some hanging around and uh, activity going on did you like you know some people wanted to be a lawyer or a pilot or that sort of <laughs> stuff was it was it sport in your mind yeah I remember thinking like you know, when you go through school and someone asks you what you want to do and I always thought oh I'll do something in sport but then I kind of realised there's not much money in sport um, there is for a small amount of people and there's not for others so I think because of sport and I thought oh I might be a physio um, and then like I don't know these are just thoughts that come into your head I never really thought about what I wanted to be that that much you know mm. but um, I was always playing a lot of sports so that was the na- kind of natural thing to come into my head that I do something surrounded by sport but um, and then I, I kind of then you go through school and you kind of realise like it was business I was kind of business minded my brother was kind of more art and drawing and whatever that was so it wasn't that wasn't me so we were mm-hmm. kind of different that way but uh, it was kind of business stuff that I'd be was thinking about more and your career in school career guidance were they kind of directing you down that sort of path was there, was there anyone saying sport not not really realistic or did that just something you kind of were coming to yourself no, i think people would say that to you that they're well yeah you're interested in sport but everyone is interested in sport and you see fellas thinking like oh i do everyone had that thought at some stage i'd say do something in sport because they played so much and you're you're a lad anyway like you you probably would have played a lot yourself and you can't get your mind off mm-hmm. uh, the, the soccer matches and things so mm-hmm. uh, i think everyone gets that kind of um idea at some stage and then you kind of mature a bit and realize that you've to ca- you've got to make money somewhere and that that's not always the easiest place to make it so uh yeah. you, you change your mind a bit yeah i think i remember thinking back to about 14 15 i was football soccer i grew up in longford and we didn't you know have a huge gaelic uh you didn't have much it, did you? <laughs> hurling wasn't the big option either so soccer like longford town soccer was big and um would have played a lot but i think i came to that harsh realization when i was about 16 that uh, i wasn't going to get trials uh, <laughs> i wasn't going to get over the water and uh, i needed to maybe put all my attention on studies and whatnot yeah. like so it, uh, it there's always that kind of break point that you have to do it but but obviously your career did go down the sport route was there a point i suppose first of all was there a point where rugby became the number one over over kicking a soccer ball or yeah it did and like I don't think I ever thought oh my career now will be rugby like I kept going like I did I did my leaving certain I went on to college like and um doing the two side by side was it was never like oh I'll I'll, get, I'll drop this now because I'll become a rugby player mm. that doesn't happen too many people so I kept studying but yeah like in my earlier teenage years I suppose soccer was the main one and um rugby was always there and I was probably always strong at rugby anyway so that was it never went away but kind of 14 15 i realized the soccer wasn't really for me mm. uh had too much of a temper for it i think oh. uh <laughs> and i i just liked the kind of um i got more into gaelic football as well because at least there's a bit of aggression in that you can hit some shoulders and get a bit uh get a bit rougher <laughs> uh, and rugby was a, a good one because i actually people wouldn't believe it but i do enjoy i did enjoy tackling anyway when most fellas <laughs> were around the same size as me but that kind of right. changes as you go uh, old, grow older and go professional there's some big lads there 
Okay, so so that became the 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 number one. I yeah, suppose, definitely. Around, around that, during those years, was there influences that you had that kind of maybe started to spot some talent in you, or to say you could start making it? Does anyone? Yeah, kind of come up. Tony Mulcahy was the the coach in Sunday as well, one of the coaches, and I remember him t- saying at the back of a drill to another coach, "Oh, he's going to be whatever he said. I don't know. He's going to be." You overheard him say this. I overheard him say okay. it, but. Uh, it kind of, as I was like, what's he on about, you know, I, I didn't want to, didn't really want to believe it, but, um, yeah, the, I don't know, fellas would, you'd know when you've got something that, you know, you're, you score a nice goal or a nice try and people will be talking about you a little bit, but, yeah. um, you never get too carried away with your own hype. Yeah. So yeah. it's, well, uh, some might do though, but yeah, some know, do, yeah. but I don't think you should. So it, yeah. like you, you might hear one or two of those things, but you kind of dampen it straight away because you don't, you don't really believe it. You might, you might think, oh, that was nice, but. Uh, mm. I, I'm not the best player in the world. Like, it's interesting that 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 one that that instance you just mentioned there, you can overhear somebody yeah. talking about how it kind of sticks out sometimes. Yeah. Like, I always you would remember, you remember that. Sometimes you remember, I probably more on the negative side. I remember oh, somebody saying he's not gonna, <laughs> he's not gonna get that far. Maybe he might get tries with Wimbledon in yeah. the nineties. And but um, I think but, I remember it because he he said something about. He'll he'll go on to play with Monster or something like that, uh, and it just really stuck with me because mm. Monster at that stage for me and my, like my brother and my dad and my family we were like definitely my brother and my dad we were we'd go to all the games at Musgrave Park and we were kind of like we're not obsessed with it but we were mad into it yeah and yeah. like Monster players were idols for myself and my brother like mm. you know so mm. uh, over here it was kind of like I got a f- nearly a fright being like yeah. don't mention me in that sentence like yeah uh, but so it was. It was uh, that's probably the reason it sticks out to me because I, I remember thinking it was quite flattering, like absolutely. And in a strange way, it could have planted that seed in your head that gave you maybe some of that belief as well. Yeah, definitely a little bit of belief, um, and kind of realized that you know things will start to get more, a bit more serious in the next couple of years, and that you wouldn't be too far away from it. Like so, it was, uh, if you do then go on to kind of that representative stuff. You you don't feel like you're out of place completely because you you've kind of heard that one or two of those. Uh, mumblings at, at some stage yeah, before yeah, yeah. no he, he said it so it must be true yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so you said early stages this was different ro- different positions on the pitch but you got fly half became your main spot at what point did you start really kind of molding into that role I think like I don't know do you get a position in rugby at about 12 or 13 and I was always a back anyway because I, I was smaller and a little bit of jinky runs but um when I was probably under 14, 13, that kind of thing, I, I played a bit of first centre and out half, but like I wasn't really first centre and out half. It was uh, everyone in the line running around. We were just the second person to get the ball if you were first centre. You were first if you were 10. Right. And I remember Luke Duffy, who is out in Carcon now with me as a player, uh, played a lot of 10. And so I was in and out of 10 and 12 with him. We'd kind of swap around a bit. Okay. Uh, but then it was 10 after that until I went to college. Um and then there's a lot of competition in college, like the under-20 team that I went into, I was a year young going to school, so we had um, the Munster under-20s players going into first year, as well as some of us who were Munster under-19, and mm. you had the likes of Kevin Kidney out at, out half there, who was, um, you know, he was the year above me in representative rugby, it was going to be tough to get him out of position, so I started that year about three or four weeks late with an injury, Okay. Uh, so I got back late and had to play a couple of games of full-back, and then I went into 10 after that, but... Um, I still played a couple of games with Con a couple of years later uh, at full back every now and then, but it was you could nearly count them on one hand. Like it wasn't too many of them. It was nearly all at ten. Okay, so 
started to get really into that role or that, that position on the pitch from a kicking perspective then does was that something you had a natural ability with or I think kicking out of hand was my, my main strength I, I would have been fairly accurate and fairly comfortable with the ball in hand kicking at the post wasn't something I was as comfortable with um, it's different to schools rugby like I still had a bit of you know coaching out in Sunday as well but it was it was not the, not as structured as the, the schools kind of set up um, and it, it's difficult to kick the ball off a tee people don't understand that they think you just step back and hoof it and hmm. then someone asks you for a go at a tee and they realise it's not like there's actually more timing involved in it yeah. um, but it was something I had to practice a lot on my own and I remember my dad would kick balls back to me and my brother and my dad would come out kicking with me um, and it was just kind of me and my brother kicking around and my dad kicking them back hmm. but when I went into college then Gary Byrne did a lot of actual structured kicking with me and that kind of helped me uh, and on to Munster with Ian, Ian Costello but I was always probably a little bit behind on my kicking at goal so it was a bit right. of catch up even though I was like I could strike a soccer ball and I could strike a football off the ground as well but yeah. um, striking a rugby ball was just a little bit different and it took me a bit of time to catch up I'd say Did, did the kind of practice that you were doing before you got the structured practice it's like anything I suppose you if you develop the habit in a bad way it's hard to deconstruct it yeah it's bad practice but you know you, yeah you get like if you practice anything enough it doesn't matter how bad your practice is you'll probably find a good technique for you somewhere okay. in between and you'll get you'll get consistent to a certain degree with it maybe it's not optimal but mm. you'll you'll become half decent right. uh, now you can help yourself with better practice and that's what you learn as you go to kind of academies and professional rugby that there's better ways to practice okay but you're not going to be doing too badly once you are practicing for hours anyway. You know, right. nobody t- teaches a young fella how to kick the ball okay. off the wall or kick kick it so many times before he gets good at it. Like you, you're yeah. going to do it your own way, and that's why we grow up to be a bit individual. I'd say. Okay, but there wasn't when you did get into the more structured. Was it just tweaking your? Yeah, style? like there's some non-negotiables in certain terms of kicking, and you have to kind of get them right, and then you leave a guy be as as individual as you can if he's kind of ticking some of the boxes that you have to tick and then you let him have his own style or you know no one's going to kick the ball the same anyway so if you don't have to correct it don't bother but if you if there's a certain thing that he's getting wrong in terms of consistency then maybe you can correct that Mm -hmm. and uh and mold it slightly differently yeah how much of it is mental versus the actual yeah there's a lot of it I'd say like yeah. um, I, I'd say to fellas still that and we'd agree on it like, fe- like guys out in Carcan that are kicking that you could have the worst warm up of all time but you could just get into match mode and you could kick very well and it can go the other way around as well so um, you never you're, I, you might get to a place where you're kicking and you're just in a flow and it doesn't stop but there's also times where you have to kind of win the mental challenge and if you forget about the mental challenge as well when you're kicking well you'll miss one and then you can spiral into a couple of misses so you have to you always have to be on top of the mental battle I think yeah have you ever heard of the book or series of books The Inner Game there's a guy called uh, Tim Galway is his name there's The Inner Game of Golf there's The Inner Game of Tennis Mm -hmm. and he talks about it's all you know you're, you're you're playing against the opponent but the biggest opponent you have is in your head yeah and uh how to actually overcome a lot of that like did you develop a process then of getting in the zone or in the flow state or um i would have worked on some processes and i would have read some books as well definitely but i would have um something that i told myself for a while was you don't miss two in a row so that was a nice way to guarantee yourself nearly that you're going to get the next one so if you miss like I definitely, like any other young player, if I missed a kick, I would have missed the second one as well because my head would go down. Right. But then I kind of got to a stage where I got really into the mentality of things and um, that was just something I kept saying to myself, you, you don't miss two in a row. 
Um, and that kind of helped me. It kind of gives you false confidence nearly stepping up to the tee. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I've missed one already, but I'm actually good enough at this stage that I don't miss two. Yeah. Uh, I rarely miss two, and so they're not going to be two in a row. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's something that I kind of reassured myself with, whether it was false confidence or not. Mm. Um, it kind of helped me mentally. It worked. Uh, worked for a bit in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at times. Yeah, no, again, again, that book, I think, talked about golf, and it was like, I think the brain doesn't understand the word not yeah and uh basically if you're hitting off the tee and you're 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 saying i'm not going to put this in the bunker no way and it just says i'm bunker bunker and it's there and it you know again i've tried it and still put it in there sometimes (laughs) but it it certainly does help yeah like kazi would have i would have told kazi that one out loud uh ian costello uh, at a certain stage when I was kicking and he said I like what you're doing but you just got to change the words around a bit to make it a bit of a positive connotation so mm-hmm. I would have worked a lot on being positive um, and definitely I had the voice in the back of my head when I was missing a kick that my head would go down so I had to work a lot on the positivity of things and uh, that's something that I was probably getting into the right state of mind but he just kind of tweaked it a small bit to make sure that the statement was a bit more positive I can't even remember what way I had it and what way he changed it to but mm-hmm. um, I think he said you always get the next one whereas I was saying you don't miss two in a row uh, some slight differences but the don't part I think is, yeah, is the negative downward exactly, yeah. you always always is kind of much yeah, more you always forward. get the next one so yeah. uh, that was kind of a learning with, with Kazi and they kind of uh, I would try and can keep the, the thoughts in my head more positive then yeah yeah no that's cool I, I, I'm fascinated about all of that stuff so so then I guess when was the big break from you were in college when you got before you I suppose you made your Munster A debut in 2011 deep research done last yeah. night so um but <laughs> was there a was there a breakthrough moment that stands out do you, do you recall or was it kind of a gradual no i think i was a slow burner anyway i, I never had the overnight success that people would kind of speak about with the conor murray's and people and people like that mm. um even though it's not an overnight success like these people are working hard behind the scenes but there's always yeah. that kind of game where people say he's arrived and i'm not sure if i really had that um maybe if i was still playing some people would call it the leinster game but yeah um I had played a couple of games before that that I was quite happy with and Leinster was the biggest game I played to be fair and people will probably speak about that one but I was definitely a slow burner I played a couple of games before I got injured and I played a, a good few A games where I was happy enough with my, my performances Like, but um, then I came back after the injury and I kind of played another few games that people have had heard of me but they didn't know how much I was about you know so yeah. um, maybe it wasn't as much an overnight one but I was kind of just growing into the role a bit more and the uh, the selection for the Leinster game was probably Axel giving me the confidence to know I had, I nearly had my hands on the jersey a small bit, so people right. probably took me a bit more seriously after that selection. Okay, cool. When you said though, when you went from UCC to the Munster setup, what stood out straight away of the difference, the step up in professionalism, and was there things that kind of wow, this is a next level? Yeah, I think like when you're in the sub academy in the academy, you're nearly cannon fodder for the the senior sessions and if they needed to plug the the opposition with numbers then you'd go in and you might go to that's a bit unfair as well like the, they'd bring you to skill sessions where the the Cork lads might be doing a skill session so they bring a couple of academy lads to it and I remember doing a session with um, all the senior team who I'd never seen properly before yeah. uh, on a pitch side by side so it was uh, a real realisation moment where Peter Stringer and Ron Nagara coming up and saying hi I'm Peter or hi I'm Ronan and you're kind of like <laughs> laughing at yourself yeah. saying I know I followed you forever <laughs> yeah. so that was kind of a realisation moment that was out in Musgrave Park and I remember being like geez am I actually in this these happened. circles like you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, 
and the lads are taking me seriously doing the skills session and demanding a lot out of me as if I'm good enough to do it you know they're mm-hmm. not just leaving me drop a ball because yeah. I'm one of the young fellas they'd actually demand you to not drop it so you kind of realise when you're going to those sessions and you're interacting with guys like that that you're uh, you're not too far from fitting in yeah and obviously they would have had to walk your path at one stage yeah. as well so I presume it's an ethos or just a kind yeah, of yeah you don't understand green. that as much as you're about to get in there that they're going to help you so much but yeah when you get into that situation you're only happy to to help everybody else coming up as well in the academy and things so I, I think it's just a bit of a culture that's driven that you do help the young fellas and uh you know they, ne- they never think that some young fellas going to take their place anyway so they're only happy enough to help yeah uh, and develop everybody like that and kind of it it's kind of a, a self-fulfilling thing as well that you're helping people around you so that makes the player feel good too yeah you know so it's uh and you're on the same team effectively yeah anyway and all going for the one goal exactly so, you yeah. know it all yeah like you know it's like thinking if you have a new boss at work they better in their interest want to look after you and yeah because you know, you're they're going to be doing the stuff to make them successful exactly well. you yeah. kind of sometimes forget that in all, all different ways mm-hmm sacrifices in those years through college are smiling there so uh obviously out and out and about uh was there was there much of a sacrifice did you sense around then or yeah was there i would have pissed you off no like i, I would have yeah the things pissed me off right but i mean i would have uh, i would have sacrificed quite a bit socially when i didn't maybe didn't have to but that's the way i dealt with it i, I was very kind of i was probably a bit uptight uh in terms of preparing for things and like the training week and matches at the weekend I remember in first year of college, I might have gone out on the Tuesday if we had a match on the weekend. Loads of fellas would have been happy enough to go out to Thursday, and I, w- I just wouldn't have been. Right. Um, so they were, and kind of going to 18s around that time, I wouldn't have gone. I would have gone to them, but I wouldn't have been drinking like other fellas would have been. So I, now that that's not a, a prerequisite to become a professional player, but that's just yeah. the way I dealt with it. Mm. Uh, and I would I would have sacrificed quite a bit. I I just kind of get obsessed with the process of things, and I, I don't like to. I hate doing things wrong so it's uh that kind of takes over me a small bit like other fellas are much more relaxed and that's the way they deal with it and they they have mm. to probably get into social circles whereas I was the other way around and mm. there's no right or wrong for you it's just how you like to deal with it but um even later years like myself and Chloe trying to book trips and I just wouldn't have been comfortable getting like it getting in the way of yeah. a potential game or something. So I was probably tough enough to deal with at times. <laughs> uh, even like arguments at home about food and what's the best food for me to be having. I just got really uptight about needing everything to be perfect. Like and uh, that, like that's the way I had to deal with it. That that stood to me, but yeah, it definitely isn't the reason I was a a professional rugby player. Like I could have done things a lot easier, made things easier for family around me as well. But yeah, uh, that's just the way I was. But you probably take that approach in everything you do probably i don't i don't like i like to try and do it as best i can so Leave um, no stone unturned yeah i wouldn't change it but i definitely would uh try not to have as many arguments with people but the process so was that like a self-developed de- one absolutely yeah. yeah no one tells you the process the process is probably your academy schedule and then you make your own way of dealing with it or how you prepare what you eat beforehand how you do your extras and who you interact with while you're doing it so that's um that's something that i got kind of really into especially during my injury the the process became everything for me and I got completely obsessed with it I couldn't stop thinking about it mm. and um, like I just never shut off it was always if I was oh. watching TV with Chloe and she got up to go to the bathroom or something I'd be on the floor stretching 
or I'd be pausing it at a certain time, half right. eight on the dot to get my last snack in before bed. Oh. Uh, so that wrecked her head, and rightly so. <laughs> but that I just couldn't get away from that, you know. Yeah, yeah. the meticulousness of it all. Like yeah. and there's a, you know, I'm a bit OCD myself. <laughs> like so, I see there's kind of similar. Probably yeah, I was actually tracks. speaking to the physio in Con last night. We were driving in from Armagh after a match, and he kind of. He was nearly afraid to say, but he's <laughs> calling me OCD nearly. And I was like, I'm not OCD. I just, I think I just like to control things, but I don't. Yeah. I, I'd like to think I'm not OCD. Like OCD for me, people are like, oh, I have to put my right hand in front of my left no, hand. Yeah. And, I think there's like, positive OCD. Yeah, like but I, I think it's definitely a control factor that I like to be in control of my own situation. Mm. And do you think, it, can you, like any times building up to a game where that, that preparation didn't go well or something you had forgot or just threw you off, did it? Did it, do you think, have a material impact on the game? Or no, anything? I try not to. Like, even though I had my process and my routine and things like that, I, I was definitely into the fact that you can be mentally strong enough that you could go out and draw a pair of slippers and do the, do the same job if you had to, right. that you're strong enough to overcome that. And okay. maybe when I was a bit younger, I had to have this, like, you, you'd same same body warmer on. And if you don't have that one, you'd be thinking, I won in this one the last time. I think that's a bit of a maturity that a lot of people go through when they play sports. It's not superstitious, like I, yeah. yeah I, tr- I wasn't. I was definitely wasn't the most superstitious person, but like I try and I would definitely have gone to the opposite side of that. Whereas I'd say like just because I don't have the same socks under my socks, I'm not going to play badly because of that. Like and trying to become mentally strong enough to deal with things around you, you can't control everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you can control how you prepare, what you bring to the game, or whatever. But you can't control traffic on the way to the match and the team bus. You yeah. can't control how many exact minutes you have to kick beforehand. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to try and become mentally strong enough to deal with that. And I'd, I'd like to think I was able to deal with it anyway. Yeah. No, it sounds like you, you certainly were. And it's, <laughs> it, it's a good insight into the kind of mentality around it. When you were, I just want to maybe talk about the, your full debut. Yeah. Does that stand out different to other matches yeah it does yeah because yeah. as I was just saying you were talking about the kind of progression and I just wanted to see what what was different and like what 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 are the kind of things you prepared for in that way was was there anything different you prepared for that game no I don't think I would have prepared differently I remember running onto the pitch against Cardiff I think that was my debut uh, away from home and I would have uh, I just felt it was very surreal getting on the pitch right um, I remember sitting on the bench against I don't know was it Connacht or someone in Thoman Park and I remember thinking looking on the pitch from that level it was like looking at a game of FIFA or something, you know, it just looked very surreal to me. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of drawing my first full start, I, I don't think I would have, um, I wouldn't have prepared any different. It's actually probably easier to prepare for your start uh, to start a game because you know you have to do it from minute one, whereas sitting on the bench is actually quite tough. Yeah. You don't know when you're going to have to kick into gear mm-hmm. and it's hard to stay completely focused all the time, but you don't know when you're going to have to come on and do the business. Like, So starting from minute one, you just get your head around it that you're you're the man in the middle like you've you've got a performer you're coming off so it was um definitely starting games was easier than coming off the bench like yeah yeah yeah. you would hear that a lot you played zebra and that's where you scored your first i suppose that was your first game where you kind of announced yourself yeah i suppose there was a tough win that day and i kicked uh was a five from five and one one tough kick into the very blustery tom and park Mm. uh and that video that that got a bit of uh, attention, so mm. it was um, it was a nice one. It was, but it was still zebra, you know. And yeah. it was like we expect to win, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Like we had we had a nice day as a team, and I kicked well, so I was happy with it. But I certainly didn't expect for it to land me in a starting position against Leinster. So that was just a week later, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was happy to do my thing against Zebra, but I it's still in the back of my mind, like it was it was great, but it was still in the back of my mind that like they're one of the worst teams in the league. Like it wasn't right. gonna 
Do you think that might have had a less of a pressure on you because of your mentality thinking they're not as good a, so you uh, kind of I, I think it works both it. ways like if you don't play well you've not played well against Zebra if you play well mm. you've played well against Zebra so it, it doesn't really work for the player in a way but at the same time it was a massive learning curve for me we were into a very bad wind in the second half and I remember kicking the touch and getting 10 metres and fellas patting me on the back delighted with me like. right. so it was uh, I, I just kind of felt like I was I was the, the guy in control in the middle okay. of the pitch and um it wasn't a weak team we put out either. Like Conor Murray played at nine. Yeah, I remember Erzy was in the centre. I think, and uh, you know, it was it definitely wasn't a weakened team, and that's that's where I got my initial confidence from because sure. Toronto was a bit of pressure on us, and sometimes the Zebra game was nearly a glorified A game. Mm. Um, but that's not the team we put out. So that was the first bit of confidence I got. Yeah, I was Zebra, but I was still inside in the the main bulk of the team, so it was yeah. good for me still. Very good. Did you get nervous before matches? Or Absolutely. You did? Like, <laughs> Very so that bad, was yeah. something that was, some people would say they don't. Yeah, and some people would have said to me that I look quite calm, but okay. I, was, I was the opposite of calm. Inside. Uh, so I, I would have overthought a lot of things, but um, yeah. I'd be nervous for the week. Like I'd be nervous for the training session, and then I'd um, you play the game and you might play well, and your nerves would calm down for Saturday night and maybe some of Sunday morning, and then you've got to go review the game get back into training for the next game and it doesn't matter what you've done at the weekend you have to go and play the next game well as well so that's the the kind of mindset I had and that's probably what made me kind of nervous about it right. I didn't enjoy the win for too long but yeah. I was nervous for, for most of the week Like, but when you were actually on the field playing were you in um, a more no I think you, yeah once you get the first couple of plays out of the way you, you start to grow it, into like, it and yeah. yeah like a lot of people would say that but it definitely I know I was nervous but I wasn't afraid like yeah, there, was, yeah, yeah. there was a difference in it Um. I got to a stage as well where I really look forward to a challenge. When I was younger, I was nervous because I was genuinely nervous. But um, in those kind of games after my injury, I was, I was nervous, all right, but I couldn't wait to take it on. Like The more nervous I was, the bigger the challenge was, and mm. that's, that's the bigger the win was afterwards if you got it right. Sure. There's probably a fine balance between nervous and excitement almost there. Yeah. That, that you're looking forward to it it's a kind of pent up yeah I suppose like I would, I'd say nervous but some of it was probably anxiety in terms of you want to get on the pitch and just get the first kick out of the way or something like that yeah. so it wasn't all bad nerves but it was uh, there was uh, a bit of energy going through me alright and yeah. it, it was kind of wasted energy on nerves and anxiety yeah 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 no that's that's interesting so the injury like in 2014 you had the, the hamstring injury yeah and uh, you've probably talked about this a hundred times so I don't <laughs> want to go too much into it yeah reflecting back on it was there anything that you could have like was there anything like just the actual injury itself how did it happen very briefly I was poaching the ball at a rock so uh, in a bent over position and yeah I was probably reaching too much at the ball because I'm not uh, a very comfortable poacher but I was just a bit too competitive in terms of trying to get the ball back right as a 10 you just you'd see the ball available at a rock you might try and blast through the rock or you might just not bother get around the corner and leave someone else do it yeah but the ball was available and I couldn't leave it there. <laughs> Same when I was a young fella. Right. Uh, I had to get my hands on it. So, <laughs> so you're uh, just going back to your earliest memory <laughs> there, like, you know. Yeah, so uh, I I did try and get the ball. I was probably a bit too kind of stretched. Now, I don't know if it would have mattered much because I think uh, it was Connor Carey, this player McConnock at the moment, came from a distance, like it was a bit open and just completely doubled me over. So right. how much my position would have mattered, I don't know. But okay. I remember coming off on the stretcher and my family were on that side and... Uh, I was probably barely even to speak. I was right. in pain and so upset with myself. And I remember just looking over at them. I knew they'd be looking at me. Like I remember looking over and being like, it was my own fault. Because right. I just blamed myself completely for the position I was in. But geez, I don't know if that would have mattered at all. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
She's tough. And you knew straight away it was uh, something serious. Like, had, had you, were, you, were you injury prone in your career ever before? Was um, there, was there I've had injuries. Like, I wouldn't say I was injury prone. And anyone who is injury prone would dispute that fact completely. Sure. No, I've had a couple, like, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've never had a long term injury like that. Right. Um, so I, 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 I never thought it was the injury that would, would be yeah. the end. Like, because I remember Brian O'Hara had a hamstring off the bone when we were in the academy and he was tipped to be very good seven like and he right. was very i played with him for a while he was very good um and i remember hearing that his hamstring was off the bone it was kind of a nine-month job and it's supposed to be the sorest thing you'll ever do right so when i was on the ground i was in massive pain there's a picture of me and there was a picture of me on the echo the next day which i or the next week which i didn't appreciate but right. uh i looked like i was in a lot of pain yeah. but i remember thinking of just where the pain was that it wasn't from any bone it felt like it was in the middle of my hamstring right and i felt like kind of a clawing of my hamstring nearer the bottom of it so okay. it was strange then as the injury kind of went on that it was actually from the bone at the top of my hamstring so right. I, I didn't really believe that that could be the sorest thing that ever happened despite it being like very very painful yeah. I thought there must be something more painful but um, <laughs> your threshold of pain might be higher than uh, I'm not sure it is <laughs> but I just thought there had to be something worse like and um, then the physio was kind of saying oh if it's sore it's a good thing because it means it must be pulling from something that's attached somewhere and I remember the pain going out of it in a couple of days time and yeah. then I got the kind of the dread of going up to the surgeon that I'm actually not feeling it anymore that must not be a great thing you know right, so right, right. I knew it was a significant injury but the fact that there was no pain that definitely wasn't good because that meant it was just not hanging from anything right right just very much aware of what you've talked about so far and your kind of mental approach to things and being in control and you know <laughs> focused around yeah. everything so that I would imagine has helped or helped even in the year or nine months getting back into full fitness I suppose yeah I think um, I, would, I wouldn't have come back to be the player I was if I didn't get injured I don't think and mm. that's uh, you know you can become that player in, in 13 months like I did a 13 month rehab I could have become that player if I just worked really hard on my game for 13 months as opposed to have to sit it out. Yeah. But I just think some of the stuff I had to do to get back and the mentality I had to get um, to get through that kind of stuff, I, I, I just feel I kind of grew as a person and as a mm. player and as a professional as well, you know. So yeah. um, whether I would have done it or not, if I didn't get injured, I probably would have been all right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just got to a place mentally that yeah. I, I wouldn't have got to without the, the injury happening. It might have accelerated that yeah mental maturity i suppose yeah. what were the positives you would have t taken from that period is there anything uh, standing was, out yeah i remember thinking that this is just a massive opportunity for me now to to become a man i suppose i was still felt i was a, a young fella wasn't very big and i just thought I'd, I'd, I'd get some meat on my bones and and maybe uh work in some of my weak areas like put a bit more time into kicking without having to kick at the weekend you can really kind of focus on your on the practice and becoming better as opposed to just getting by because you have to kick at the weekend anyway um, mm. and just checking your score at the weekend and seeing how yeah. much you can improve during the week it's different a different mentality and approach to what you do when you're injured so uh, a couple of little things like that and by mistake I probably worked a lot on my mentality but mm. that was the biggest thing I got from it I, I didn't go into like I went into the injury thinking I can get bigger here and I can get stronger and I can become a man I can uh, I can work on some of my weaker areas my right hand passing as well, and my and some of my kicking at post but I didn't um, I didn't really write down that my mentality would be so strong coming back but that's definitely the, the best thing that happened from it okay and then when you did come back and obviously went on to have to make the call was it was last September October time frame when you it was uh, well I really kind of came to a head in July 2016 okay. into August 2016 was kind of 
getting scans done and speaking to specialists but it then we we're kind of it, it got drawn dragged out a small bit because just waiting for reports to come back and i kind of knew i, I heard first september i knew probably a couple of weeks before that that it was definitely going to happen and a few weeks before that was always on my mind that it might happen so mm. probably was six weeks there where i was up in the air but definitely more towards the retirement yeah obviously the the initial injury and the road to recovery did that prepare you in any way for for what the um, final decision was or that mental toughness developed or was it always still just a big shock when you had to kind of it was still it a massive it? shock and heartbreaking but mm. I probably got to a stage where I was able to deal with um, the setback and try and put on a strong front if nothing else so mm. it definitely stood to me in terms of having to retire but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have wished it upon myself I, I definitely wasn't strong enough to deal with it like no I don't know if anybody is yeah, yeah. and you definitely have your moments during it like but I just tried to tried to stay as strong as I could so that people around me didn't feel the, the negative effects of it either because it was as tough for them as it was for me yeah, um, yeah, yeah, having to like it was tough for them personally themselves but it was also tough because of the double guessing like how's he feeling and then mm. they'd feel horrendous if I ever felt poorly so yeah. um, their kind of guessing nearly was as bad for them as well so on top of them feeling bad about it they had to feel bad about me as well so mm. I tried not to feel too bad about the whole situation and tried to get on with it as much as I could and put on a smile and be positive not in a fake way because I'd, I'd always like to be honest with people but yeah, yeah, something yeah. you just have to kind of get on with it for the, the sake of yourself and people around you yeah yeah no it's a tough one and I read you know some of the articles you were saying about your identity uh, yeah. Johnny Holland the rugby player yeah uh, you know like I'm, I'm big into identity uh, and how people define identity because mm -hmm. you know that's one part of your identity ultimately but maybe yeah. it's the part that people recognise most how has your identity changed over the last period of time as you've as we talk about now you know your current situation yeah. but what have you done i suppose to to change that identity mentally and externally you know yeah i think uh, it's definitely something i struggle with because like you're introducing yourself to somebody or someone's asking you what you're doing and sometimes you just don't have an answer and you have to say I was a rugby player and you, there's only so many times you can say I was something they're asking what you're doing mm -hmm. like they don't care about what you did mm -hmm. and uh, kind of not hanging on to it as much as I could but that's still part of me like I'm always going to be the guy who played rugby but um, I just I struggled with it to be honest that's mm -hmm. one of the hardest things that I found coming out of the game but um, I just kept kept working kept working hard and trying to go somewhere I found a job and I, uh, I've worked on my on my website now lately and that's something that I, I'm probably only just getting over it now yeah. that uh, people are seeing me as maybe something else that I'm uh, I'm interested in nutrition and I'm a nutritionist or to some degree so um, now people will say they'll they'll think of me in that kind of light as opposed to yeah. he did play rugby so that, that's something that's evolving all the time um, and it, yeah this kind of latest venture is uh, is the start of me getting on with it I suppose yeah during the last couple of years was there people that came to give you advice guidance mentorship anyone obviously close fam family and friends and girlfriend is there others even in the game that were very beneficial to to talk to and help you through it in, in kind of maybe key moments um i'm not so sure like those people pop up in, in different ways and mm. um i remember the day that i kind of i didn't call it but i i said i'm injured here like and you know there's a realization moment I spoke to Dunnick Ryan because he probably saw me hiding behind the van, uh, not in the best shape. Oh, yeah. And 
he came over to chat to me and he'd been through a lot of this, a lot of the similar stuff himself he nearly retired one or two times so right. uh, he probably knew the kind of position I was in uh, so that helped definitely I remember having a phone call with Sean O'Brien because that actually came from the chat with, with Donnie Ryan right because he had gone through his hamstring trouble and okay. um, Paulie obviously retired with a, a hamstring so I spoke mm-hmm. to him intermittently but I don't know if anyone can ever get you over it by speaking to you they can help you with certain things but I definitely have the opinion that I, I took it over it myself like it was my issue um, and it was my life that, that's that been kind of torn apart to some degree so um, I had to find my own path and kind of get over it my own way so yeah. like that I wouldn't like to uh, say people didn't help me at all sure. but I, I definitely took a lot more yeah. from my family and my friends than I did from any one individual okay. uh, as a public figure you know yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's something that I try to just people would offer like oh through Irupa you might be able to speak to somebody or um, I can't remember there was one or two kind of um, offers being thrown out there that I can speak to somebody that might help and I kind of said yeah fair enough but I'm probably just going to deal with this myself like yeah I think everything you've said though a lot of the stuff you've said on the journey again go back to you are pretty self-sufficient and yeah. it seems like you will mentally figure stuff out yourself and yeah. get an approach and develop your own process to how to actually get over yeah, this and anything I suppose probably a bit of it to be fair like and I'll, I'll probably battle my own thoughts as opposed to tell them to somebody else until I have to but yeah um I just wouldn't like to trouble somebody with the situation when I can deal with it myself yeah okay very good so now that the, the world is around nutrition yeah it again reading you said you quote unquote you called yourself a smaller guy so nutrition hmm. was always a part of yeah, yeah. what you wanted to do um or it was a natural area to go into maybe yeah yeah like I since I was probably 16, 17, I started to take a lot of interest in nutrition because it, it's just something I find fascinating anyway, but it's definitely um, being a smaller guy, you had to bulk up and the only way to do it is by getting interested in the best ways to do it. And you can't just leave it to chance. I wasn't going to just grow overnight. I wasn't one of those guys. Yeah. So I definitely took a massive interest in it and that went throughout. Like it, it goes from being a smaller guy to a bigger guy, but also how you fuel things and getting the best out of your own performance I would have tried to um, draw change small things to see if they would make a bit of a difference to me on the pitch mm. and it's kind of I probably got a bit obsessed with that as well yeah but what percentage of your performance would you even put down to good nutrition or I'm not sure you can really quantify it because you just have to make sure you um, you try and get as much knowledge as you can and implement it as best you can and the performance will look after itself mm. I wouldn't have cared if that was 90% rugby 10% nutrition yeah. or the other way around it didn't bother me as much as I ticked the box I wouldn't like, I don't like saying tick the box because it sounds like a negative way but yeah. definitely in a more positive way to tick all the right boxes and then get out and perform and you know you've done something positively during the week that affected your performance that like you, you take off your kicking you take off your nutrition and your recovery and you go out and you try and perform as best you can if it didn't go well for you you probably assess the rugby first and if that was not the issue then you probably have to assess something else but mm. trying to just get enough areas right during the week um, I was happy enough once I played well that I I did them as best I could during the week you know yeah so it was applied sports and exercise and nutrition is, yeah. is the, the qualification that you're yeah. doing like a typical day in the life now I know you still have the 9 to 5 so it's yeah. kind of the the bookends of your day is probably where you're trying to, to, to develop and build that up what, yeah. what, what does it look like nowadays that's just speaking to people um, that want to better themselves in terms of nutrition and body composition and fueling performance as well so I'll uh, have some clients now where I'd, I'd give them kind of food questionnaires maybe meet them face to face or online 
and have a chat through their their habits and try and change a couple of habits here and there and it depends on the kind of person that they are if they're real structured then you might give them a meal plan of exactly what to eat because some people want that but other people just don't want a meal plan and that's that's probably the the way forward for most people eventually once they get comfortable enough with their nutrition that they make decisions based on something so um just try and implement a few a few nice habits and improvements that they can have gradually and educate them around it as well so when i when i do the questionnaire with them when i meet them and speak about their what they've been up to i'll put together some sort of a plan for them and then i'll put an educational piece beside it where i kind of explain what i've done or what they can improve on and um it might be for performance for sport it might just be for going to the gym or it might be just to get in better nick and it doesn't really bother me which one they want to do but yeah being able to help is the the main aim for me cool is it surprising how little people know about nutrition at times yeah like even speaking to some of the professionals that i played with having a pre-match meal and you'll be having a talk about who's eating what oh geez you can't eat that and it's like why not so even with can still there the lads would laugh at the they thought i was going to get rid of the the pancakes and ice cream before a game mm. because uh all of a sudden like they didn't take me seriously before as, a game yeah okay. yeah they didn't take me seriously as a nutritionist uh before my website went up but all of a sudden the website went up and they were kind of watching me being around the food and they thought the the pancakes and ice cream were going to disappear but <laughs> i was kind of like There's, that's there for a reason like it's, yeah. it's good for you before a game to fuel right. what's coming like so okay. um it's uh it's yeah there there's certain ways of, of doing it okay cool last five minutes johnny so we just go through some kind of rapid fire ones yeah you've been prepared <laughs> for these i won't ask you anything too hard um and it, you know just share some of your experiences as well time management and productivity how how do you approach that and i think you're going to have a lot of good ones here judging yeah, by I'm, your structure i'm big into time management and if you can even something very practical preparing your food for the week if you're boiling some eggs don't watch them boil and sit there and wait for them to be done yeah, start yeah. cooking your chicken and vegetables and stuff yeah. while it's boiling that that's stuff that i hate when people waste time yeah it yeah, just yeah. gets to me and even time management for myself like i Time is something that makes me really anxious. Anyway, if I'm, I, I'm never late for something. I try not to be. Anyway, yeah, you were if on I, time here today. Actually, yeah, I was. Well I, I was trying to. Uh, I was trying to not be too early. I'm always too early oh, anyway. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, so on the button is the the new aim for me. But uh, you're taught that through the academy anyway. If, I don't know what would you say if you're if you're five minutes early or ten minutes late because you had to be fifteen minutes early for everything. Right. So okay, uh, that kind of was ingrained in me a small bit. But even if I'm going for a meal with Chloe and it's booked for seven o'clock, if I'm not there for ten to five to seven we're late like and she doesn't care like, she, right, right, she'll be right. five minutes late for everything which yeah. gets on my nerves and i'm trying to get there early it's only a meal like nobody cares if you're early or late yeah, but i'll yeah. uh, it'll start getting on top of me if we're if we're running it a few minutes late like i like that one because I, I think i've got into the habit of doing more multitasking when i'm cooking as yeah. well because it does there's that 20 minutes while you're waiting for something exactly to like heat up you yeah can do so many other even things, if it's like. not cooking you can be doing something else that, that yeah. you have to get done you know so as long as the place doesn't go on fire yeah yeah i had to try and work on not being too early for things because i'd be a half an hour early sitting there waiting for someone mm. wasting my own time when i could get something done yeah and yeah, also yeah. wondering where the fuck they are i'd yeah, literally yeah. be like where are they and, it, and if yeah. they look at my watch i mean like they don't even have to be here yet you know they yeah. still, have, still have 20 minutes like it's interesting people are just I don't know that's a born thing I'd imagine yeah. in some ways they're, that they're more likely to be early and they're very precise around that versus yeah, my mom would be always sitting there wait, looking at you 20 minutes before she said she made the time to go and she'll still be looking at you are you not ready yet okay. and if she's yeah. asking me when I'm going to be ready then you know she's even earlier than I am okay. so that's, that's probably where I get it from that's, that's where you yeah. get it from 
work-life balance at the moment is probably full on I, you know is that that's that's a good thing I'd imagine do you like being busy or I like I have to be busy I think especially with the last year or two of my life I have I've had to be busy when I've stopped and stayed still I freak out mm-hmm. uh, questioning things so uh, the busier the better for me at the moment even though I get quite busy then and I do need a, a day to relax a small bit but the minute I the minute I plan that and start relaxing I'm looking for the next thing to do so when I say relax, I'm probably not really that relaxed. Going to the gym for me is a relaxed day, so that's what you would consider to to relax. Do you what like would what other things where you're actually not, not uh, expelling energy? I suppose to to relax. Do you read? Do you kind of meditate? Meditate is something I'm big into. I talk to a lot of people. Yeah, about I, that. I got into that when I was um, recovering and stuff. I probably don't do much of it anymore. Um, but yeah, I watch TV like a normal person but I try and I try and get my work done and enough done to kind of settle my mind and then I'll sit down and watch TV with Chloe for a while I probably don't watch too much TV on my own unless it's a match but okay. I'll, uh, I'll watch it with Chloe and that's the way to unwind and try and relax a small bit uh, even though I might be thinking all sorts of other things when I'm watching it but most of the time I am able to sit down and chill out and yeah I, I try and read but I'm a bit busy now that I'm probably rushing to bed or um, trying to find time for other people as well and then I the sleep was probably better for me than learning something from a book at the moment so okay. um try and get back into it again but uh trying to relax is, is tough sometimes so i need to get my sleep so i don't get run down and sick and all the rest of it routines i think routine is probably a big thing for for yeah. you like morning routine like do you do you get up early do you have a certain certain things that you have to get done every day do you, do you have a methodical approach to your, your um, no I think my routine at the moment is just um, like I don't have to do certain things but I go to the gym in the morning before work so I suppose that is a routine uh, I my routine is based around meals what time I do everything that was always the way it was certain meals at certain times but um, right. I uh, yeah I don't have to get anything done in a specific order at the moment but if I first for a good while there, if I hadn't gone to the gym first thing, I couldn't think of anything else. I have to go to the gym, right? So that's maybe one of them. But I am able to not go to the gym and have a normal day. But uh, I definitely need if I'm going to be going, I need to do that first thing. Okay, just to pick up on the the meals piece, then. So as a tip, I suppose eating your meals at a certain time every day, or or what is the best? No, I think it's to do that. It's whatever or, suits you. But like, right. there's a, there's a reason we have dinner time, lunch time, breakfast time is all very structured and has been forever. Yeah, but so i i would be someone that likes to have my my dinner at a certain time now when you get busier and things are out of your control you can't do that like but it's always going to be a certain part of the evening or lunchtime is always and has always been one o'clock like yeah so um yeah there's i I like to keep a kind of structure like that and and space my meals out kind of uh evenly but if you can't do that it's not the end of the world yeah nevin mcguire when he was on i think he said after uh, try not to eat after 7 p.m in the evening I'm not, be. I'm not too sure about it no. um <laughs> yeah like there's there's a lot of things about um you know eating most of your food earlier in the day mm. but like i think if you're that kind of inverted pyramid like yeah. where you have your biggest meal is your yeah. breakfast and yeah stuff. is it eat breakfast like a king lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper <laughs> yeah, i'm not so sure about that. it like i think for most people and the average person if they just get the amount of food right in a day it doesn't really matter when you eat it um but if you're eating a big dinner late at night and you've had a big lunch a big breakfast and a lot of snacks in between then the big dinner is the last one that you've had so that's the one that's tipping you over the edge in terms of your of your total calories or whatever it is mm-hmm. so people like to single that one out as the one to put the fat on you but 
it's probably what you've had throughout the whole day as opposed to that one last meal like so i wouldn't be like a lot of people say don't eat after six and don't eat after seven which is complete spoof but it's like what if someone trains at eight o'clock at night yeah, yeah can yeah. they not eat you know so that's where my approach would be very individual you can't just tell someone not to eat after seven like yeah you know you have to kind of get into their routine and, and what works best for them and if they just don't like having food at a certain stage and they're going to have to get it in at some stage yeah. and just working on um how how they can make a few improvements you know so mm. uh unless you've got the total amount of calories right i wouldn't be going into timings too much okay and then how does sleep tie into is there a kind of correlation between sleep and nutrition and how you kind of connect yeah there's a lot of things uh around if you don't get enough sleep then you're going to be craving different foods and uh hormone imbalances and things like that like sleep is is very tightly correlated to which hormones you're releasing and how you grow and recover during your sleep so okay. there is some it's not something i've gotten too into yet it, right. like it, it is an area of interest but i need to start out my own sleep before i can go preaching about someone else's right. um uh, but uh yeah there there's you no know, you, you can say if you don't sleep too uh, as many hours in the in the night that you're going to be craving something but that's down to yourself i could probably sleep like I, I do I am interested in sleep and how much you, you recover during it and I'm trying to get as much as I can but um, I wouldn't go and snack on a lot of sugar the next day because I didn't get enough sleep I just ignore it I don't get that craving I don't think right. some people might some people don't I don't know yeah I'm fascinated about sleep uh, and the whole psychology and what people do around yeah. it like um, just one or two more pieces of advice that sticks out that you might have been given or and I always say or that you maybe even give put the head down and work hard and don't yeah. don't don't expect anything to be given to you uh it's probably something that i try and live by or teach people as well like the newer crop the newer generation think they're going to be handed games in rugby they think they're going to be given jobs and nobody's really you're not part of that newer crop no you're a millennial. <laughs> no i'm i'm too old now for that oh god there, there's another uh, th- there's another separation between me and the next group right but i think there's a yeah maybe with my own peers as well people think that you just don't have to work hard for things anymore and you, you certainly do mm. uh, just because some people can work online and they've got an easier situation that they've built themselves doesn't mean they didn't work hard for it and i think we look at these people who are uh social media famous and they've got easy situations yeah. it wasn't easy forever like they've done something to get there so yeah um you definitely have to work hard for everything you get Mm. so work hard values systems are important to me and i'm pretty clear on that i talked to a lot of people about that i imagine work work ethic is, is very important to you based on what you were saying you're quite humble and you know you don't expect to be given stuff any yeah. other things you you kind of have as your core set of values that you work with um nice scan and mocked me with this one before because i was asked it and i i remember someone saying to me that i just had to be a bit more selfish and that's not a, be, a piece of advice that can go across the board because some people are too selfish but just in my own situation I was probably looking out for too many people and not doing my own thing mm. um, so I certainly had to look after myself first and that's that was the way forward for me at the time okay. so um, it's not a thing about putting yourself first and not and not helping anybody else but I was probably my balance there was wrong so I had to kind of put my own um, priorities first and, and look after myself love yourself first and then yeah. <laughs> love others after it yeah definitely what success look like for johnny going forward what what are your kind of your goals and what what does success kind of evoke for you in the future um the website is the main thing i suppose getting that uh to be very successful is my main aim i suppose and being successful in nutrition um having a certain way about me in nutrition helping people um would be success for me it's like yeah maybe the stage of my life that i'm in 
has to be some bit financial, but mm. that's not the, the end goal. It's uh, I like nutrition. I'm probably I'm very into it, and I'm into, into helping people. So yeah. um, if that business can be a success financially, it's because I've been successful in terms of how I've dealt with people and 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 kind of um, put my best foot forward in terms of nutrition and health and coaching. Cool. And in the coaching world, I know you're working with Corcon now. Is that an area you see down the road getting more into? Uh, I don't know. It's something that I'll kind of take season by season now. Yeah. Um, I've definitely enjoyed, like I did a bit last season with the under-20s and I, it gave me a bit of a taste for it. And it's nice to be able to see someone doing something that you've tried to help them mm-hmm. with or little subtleties in their play that you might have spoken to them during the week. Even if you see a backline move that you, you might have asked the lads to run and if there's a, a try from it, you get a, a lot of satisfaction from it. So... Um, it's something that it can be quite frustrating as well but it, it, the pieces that work give you a, a, like such a kind of enjoyment factor as well that yeah. I'll just take it time, like season by season and see if it's something for me but I never I wouldn't be really caught up in the fact that I have to be a professional coach you know? like it's not it's nowhere near one of my top goals it, it's more nutrition based and okay. um, kind of coaching uh, lifestyle and stuff like that as opposed to rugby but it's definitely something I'm enjoying and growing more into very good brilliant Johnny look thanks so much we're uh, we're coming up near the hour before we wrap up you talked about the website you were reluctant to give the, the address out so go for that now or how people can get directly in touch with you as I said I, I think half the listeners of this show are actually not Irish they're yeah. across the states and so mm-hmm. that's hopefully you know people can get in touch because you do it online and yeah you can um, so it's johnnyholland10.com um, and the email is contact at johnnyholland10.com but it's uh yeah certainly something that can be done face to face or online yeah uh you can like there's always a, a video uh skype or facetime or whatever like yeah. that so i've done a bit of that now with uh with a few people so um it's it's definitely something you can do remotely and something i'll try and get a bit more into so mm. that's Brilliant. the one and you're on Instagram and Twitter yeah, and Instagram, all of those good things. Johnny Holland ten, Twitter Johnny Holland ten. So trying to keep it consistent. Yeah, it's hard actually to get the the consistent um, name across the yeah, social platforms. Yeah. I, I had the Johnny Holland ten on my Twitter and my Instagram anyway, so that's probably why I went into my website being the same, just to yeah um, keep it yeah keep it easy keep to it find. all the same. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks so much for doing that, Johnny. Oh, thanks for uh, the chat. Uh, spending your Sunday morning uh, <laughs> away from Mass and going through this. So I'll be putting it out in the near future and uh, look forward to getting some feedback on it and massive upsurge in my Instagram following <laughs> <laughs> compared to you anyway. So come on. Thanks. Very good. Thanks very much. Cheers. How was that? Did you enjoy it? I hope so. If you did, please like, share and do all that other good stuff that only takes a second on social media but means an awful lot to me as it spreads the reach. You can get the details from the show in the show notes on the website robofthegreen.ie. In there you can share the show out with others i really just want to touch on three other quick things one feedback i learned so much from it without it i can't improve please give me a bit of feedback positive negative constructive would you recommend a book do you have any other ideas for guests how about more video let me know what you want and i can make it happen i will try that's number one number two sharing is caring this year i'm making more of an effort to try and expand the reach Facebook. There's a page and there's a group. The 1% Better Community on Facebook is where I really hope new listeners go to 
share ideas, comments, in general things that they could help others with. That's what it's there for. Follow me on Spreaker.com. That's the new host. I'm on Twitter, growing not exponentially at all, but slowly. So please follow there. I'm on Instagram. All of these are at Rob of the Green. LinkedIn, Rob O'Donoghue. Get in touch. Would love to hear from you. Number three is about support. So I'm offering a few hours a month pro bono free coaching to those that can't afford it that need some coaching, that want some coaching, if you go to the website, the support page, click on the pro bono link. On the flip side of that, where you guys can support me, go to patreon.com, the Rob of the Green page. You can make a donation there. You can get access to exclusive content, which I'm adding all the time. That would be awesome. Anything you contribute will go back into the show to make it better, make it more than 1% better. Also, there's the option to buy one of those books that were recommended through the website, which will bring you to Amazon, which will get you the normal links, which will get you the books at the normal price. But supposedly, Amazon will give the show a small donation every time a book is purchased or anything for that matter, which is great. So finally, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. I know it's difficult to make improvements, to push things forward, to get outside your comfort zone. I'm trying to do it all the time. I hope that every listen and every show and every guest that is on gives you something to take away that you could apply, adopt and adapt into your own life to create a new habit, to make something better. Don't overreach. Small improvements. 1% is enough. And thank yourself for making the time to listen to the show. It shows you're interested in learning, improving and getting better, even if it's just 1% at a time. Have a great day and good luck.